Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. The Auckland Climate Plan launched last week sets a target of reducing greenhouse gas emissions by half by 2030. Now we know that this largest single chunk of Auckland's emissions, that's 37%, comes from land transport. So to achieve that bold target, transport emissions need to fall by a massive 64% in just 10 years. That puts Shane Allison in the hot seat. Shane is the chief executive of Auckland Transport, the council-owned company that manages Auckland's transport network from trains and buses to roads and tunnels and footpaths and cycleways. Shane recently wrote a piece in the New Zealand Herald setting out the scale of the challenge, what needs to be done and who else needs to be involved. Now, with full disclosure, I helped him write that article in my capacity as a public relations consultant. But the data and the opinions are all his, and this interview was not paid for. I started by asking Shane just how seriously Auckland Transport is taking climate change in its planning. Kia ora, Vincent. Uh, great to be here and uh, be here on your podcast with you. Yeah, look, um, really pleased to see Auckland Council lead out with the Auckland Climate Plan. Uh, clearly, it's a global threat. Uh, for which we all have to play our role in tackling it. And the the risks to us are real. Uh, we already see them in terms of the number of incidents of flooding and weather events uh, which threaten the transport network. Uh, but clearly it presents a, a, a much bigger threat to society as a whole uh, over the next 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years for our uh, our children, uh, our tamariki, and our grandchildren, our mokopuna. So, uh, so yeah. So, so uh, pleased, re- really pleased to see the leadership by Auckland Council on this front. Uh, and and since the article, it's kind of been backed up by the 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 words and the actions taken uh, at a central government level in the last week or so. You mean through the climate emergency declaration? Correct. Correct. And mm-hmm. and the actions that kind of support that uh, you know it's it's more than just words from uh, from government so mm. so that's uh, pleasing to see uh, but yes you're right transport has it's going to have to do the lion's share of the work uh, in, in Auckland in least. Auckland at least and and the reason is as you've set out is that transport is uh, is the you know, there's 37% of Auckland's emissions that come from the transport system, or the road transport system more particularly. Um, and that's the nature of being in an urban city uh, like we are here in Auckland. It's also a nature of um, the reliance uh, that many Aucklanders have today in terms of uh, fossil fuel-powered motor vehicles. Because 80%, of, that was something that really struck me from your numbers, was out of that 37%, 80% of it, so by far the majority is private vehicles. Correct, right? correct. And it's been growing. You know, it's been growing because uh, for two reasons. One is uh, there are more people living in Auckland. Uh, in fact, between 2013 and 
2017, another 140,000 people, population the size of Hamilton or Tauranga, uh, came and lived in Auckland. So mm. there's more people, more people travelling, and as they look for housing in many in some cases, uh, they're living further away from uh, the city centre or centres of employment, and there are a number of them across the region. So they're travelling further. On average, Aucklanders are travelling further every day, every year mm. than what they did previously on top of that population. And, and the net effect or the gross effect of that is um, you noted, the, again, your, your figures that um, transport emissions are outstripping the overall growth. So growth in emissions was 7% in the last decade and transport emissions has um, grown 11%. Correct. It's quite quite staggering. And that's all on the back of um, a number of things that have been counteracting, I guess, uh, the amount people travel in fossil fuel uh, vehicles, um, such as more fuel-efficient vehicles, uh, such as growth in public transport, kind of 75% growth in, in trips on public transport. And uh, that's over the last decade. And in the last three years, we've seen a 16% growth in trips on cycles. So, um, so despite we've got all some of challenges. That. We've got some challenges. <laughs> but you're in, so you're in the hot seat, aren't you? you know, yep. Do you um, just talk about the psychology of it? From you, know, Do you take responsibility for that? Is, is, is this your fault? Um, look, no it's, no, it's not about fault um, and can't dwell on that. But it does, there's incumbent upon us mm. a responsibility to do all that we can to support, enable, advocate for change that needs to be made in the way uh, we live and the way we move uh, around our region mm. so that we play our part uh, in, in ensuring that the generations to come are don't suffer from the impacts of climate change in the way that uh, might otherwise be the case. Mm. Well, let's talk about the, the next decade because that was the other part of your article was it, it, even despite the $28 billion worth of investment in infrastructure, you're saying that still the growth will continue in a similar tra trajectory, is that right? Yes, yeah, so, um, and that's basically on the back of um, growth. So what we see, so we, we have the benefit, we're very fortunate here at Auckland Transport, we have access to the Auckland Forecasting Centre, which is a joint venture between Waka Kotahi, uh, Auckland Council and ourselves. They have about, collectively, about 173 years worth of transport modelling and right. forecasting expertise, uh, and it was set up to be the one source of truth in terms of uh, forecasting mm. and modelling for transport in Auckland. Um, so when you forecast out with all that investment, what you see is on a per capita basis, uh, our greenhouse gas emissions uh, associated with transport start to decline about 2027, but not enough to hit the targets that have been set. And it doesn't take account of the population growth that we're going to have between right. now and the end of the decade, another 16%. That, that's the kicker, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. Is the extra people. Now, maybe just uh, tell us about that investment, that $28 billion yep. worth of infrastructure. What's in it? Yeah, look, so uh, $28 billion, uh, not all infrastructure. Obviously, there's about 
um, there's around uh, 10 billion worth of services, like public transport services, the maintenance Mm -hmm. of roads, uh, and other services that we provide um, at Auckland Transport and also by Waka Katahi, the New Zealand Transport Agency. But the remainder, um, so 16-odd billion, uh, is investment in new infrastructure or renewals of our transport system. Uh, A large chunk of that is in uh, a new rapid transit, so the city rail link, uh, extension of the northern busway, electrification of our rail network from Papakura to Pukekohe, uh, and a lot of other uh, projects, um, ex- expansion of our cycling network in Auckland. Uh, all those things contribute to uh, providing choices for Aucklanders to travel in a different way, but they also make a contribution to uh, tackling climate change mm. and more specifically a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. In the article you say despite all of that um <coughs> Despite all of that investment, um, emissions are set to grow. And so what levers have you got left? And I think that, you know, towards the end you hint, well, you don't hint, you say we, we actually need a, if, if that's the carrot to get people out of their cars, you need we need a stick. Uh, absolutely. So we need some policy changes which will incentivise um, incentivise either one or two or three things. One is avoiding trips being made. There are a lot of trips that when people are conscious about the choices they make, they don't make them. We've Mm -hmm. seen that evidence from other parts around the world. Uh, And they won't make them in the sense of uh, in fossil fuel powered vehicles. So that's one. How how do we encourage uh, people to avoid making those trips? How do we encourage people to shift uh, making those trips from um, fossil fuel engine uh, vehicles to uh, other other modes such mm-hmm. as public transport or cycling mm-hmm. or other modes or walking? Um, or thirdly, how do we incentivise people to make a change from a fossil fuel vehicle to an electric vehicle or electric in the form of battery or maybe even potentially hydrogen mm-hmm. in the future? So those are the, the kind of uh, three approaches you can take. Uh, what we've seen when we model, uh, we've kind of said, what would it take to hit some of those ta- targets that council have set out for us, uh, i.e. the 64% reduction? So we've said, what would it take to get there? Mm. And the three big levers are around uh, increasing uh, the costs of motor, motor vehicle taxes so that they actually fully account for the cost of carbon right. and emissions. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one and the biggest one. The second one is really important, which is uh, to get to that target by 2030, we need to speed up the transition to electric vehicles. And schemes like the fee-bait scheme would be particularly helpful mm. in that regard because uh, what we see is the upfront cost of an electric vehicle is more expensive than a fossil fuel vehicle, and particularly in the, in the New Zealand context, we've had a lot of Japanese imports. Um, and so some sort of incentive to for people to transition would help us in terms of that. So that's another big lever. lever. And then the third one, uh, interestingly enough, uh, given um, 
what people might have read in the media last week is around road pricing in the form of uh, congestion pricing. So they are the three really big levers. They're policy levers rather mm. than investment levers. And they're levers that are outside of your ability to implement or or dictate as <coughs> as. Uh, are just a local entity. Correct. So they, um, I mean, we see, you know, in taking accountability or taking responsibility for what we can do, we need to advocate for change um, in those areas. But the legislation and the setting of fuel emissions standards are, as you can imagine, a New Zealand-wide uh, issue that needs to be solved, uh, particularly relevant in Auckland. But um, And so they sit with central government agencies. Mm. For people to get out of their cars, they need an alternative Right, so they'll need better public transport, better cycling infrastructure, better ride sharing. What you know, all the alternatives, um, and and not there's not one silver bullet. I think that's pretty evident, isn't it? So um, tell us about those alternatives that you envisage, because at the moment you, you would have to say that they're not great, are they? You know, it's very difficult still to get around Auckland without a car. Yeah, look, it's a really good question, Vince, and I, I, I acknowledge that. You know, um, what I would say about it is that over the last 15 years, there's been significant investment in uh, fast and frequent public transport services uh, in parts of Auckland. You take the Northern Busway, you, t- you look at rail, and what the investment has shown is that we're – fast and frequent high quality public transport is provided then Aucklanders will leap on quite literally they will leap on Uh, it's been hugely successful we've seen the number of trips uh, as I said before over the decade between 2009 and 2019 grow from 63 million trips a year to over 103 million trips a year so um, I think there's, there's a real sense and optimism if we can provide sufficient geographic coverage of it and enough of it, then it is clearly a part of the solution. So uh, at the moment, for example, we had, most Aucklanders won't be aware, but there is $7.5 billion currently being invested in providing or constructing right now in construction, $7.5 billion uh, of new rapid transit, uh, city rail link, northern busway extension uh, on rail uh, to the northwest. Um, it's quite phenomenal what what is going on at the moment. So, so yes, um, we are playing catch up. Um, probably for policy decisions made between about 1950 and 2000. Um, we've got 50 years of policy decisions that we need to make up for. We're not mm. going to solve them in five years. Mm. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a period of time. I asked um, the good people of Twitter what I should ask you about, and cycling came through quite loud and clear. And I, I'm a cyclist, and I think that you're a cyclist as well, possibly. Uh, more of a walker than a cyclist, okay. but carry anyway, on. Anyway, yep. let, let me just tell you about how woeful it is riding around Auckland on a bike. It is dangerous. It's in, um, uh, you know, hardly any places to park um, and lock your bike. You have to park, you know, lock against lampposts. And, and, you know, we know how dangerous it is and there are little patches of excellence, right? Little moments of real joy um, that you've been building around the city. So there's this overwhelming disappointment about the 
cycling infrastructure. And uh, there was quite a commitment made about three years ago, you know, with your 10-year plan with 150 kilometres worth of cycling infrastructure to be rolled out. It's not happening. And uh, why is that? And do you think that you're investing enough in cycling infrastructure Yep. I don't, and yep. I think other people don't as well. Yeah. So uh, I think a couple of things. So cycling is part of the solution to this. It's a part of the solution to a number of the transport challenges that we face today. Mm. Um, the biggest, number one biggest challenge that Aucklanders have told us is to, or the barrier that they've told us is around feeling safe mm. on a bike. It's, it's clear. It's crystal clear that that is the challenge. Mm. And building uh, more infrastructure for those that want to cycle is a key objective that we have. Um, right now we have more cycling infrastructure, dedicated cycling or shared path infrastructure and construction than what we've ever had. In Auckland, I think that's probably right, but we've had stuff all, haven't we? So it's that's kind yep. of an easy measure to beat. Yeah, it is, and I think, um, and I think cycling infrastructure is. I mean, I talked about public transport in terms of we're playing catch up in terms of public transport. We're probably uh, playing even more catch up in terms of cycling infrastructure around mm. the region. Where we provide it, we almost see instantaneously a pickup mm. in terms of the number of people uh, making trips on bikes. Um, so uh, clearly a part of the future. Um, I think the COVID has shown us also um, that there are opportunities to uh, potentially div- deliver that infrastructure in, in a different way, not everywhere, but in some places which could enable us to deliver it uh, in a more cost-effective way and a faster way. Can you give an example? Oh, look, I mean, um, the some people would call it pop-up cycleways, but um, it's more around the city you'll see in certain locations, like down Nelson Street, for example, mm-hmm. where it's not the full kind of Copenhagen-style cycleway that you see in some parts of the city, mm. but um, cyclists, those that cycle would tell us uh, that if we use that where there are some gaps in the network today, then that would be that would be sufficient mm-hmm. to deliver safe cycling infrastructure. So how do you respond to the criticism that you're not going fast enough, big enough on cycling infrastructure? Um, look, there's there's, uh, uh, there's there's more to be done. We'd like to do more. Uh, clearly. Uh, we advocate for more funding. We continue to do that, to do more. Um, in fairness to, to those to politically, um, they, you know, we're in COVID still around us. It still happened. We have, um, uh, they're dealing with revenue shocks. The council's dealt with a revenue shock of about a billion dollars. Um, and like everything else in the transport package, um, um, there's a lot more we'd like to do of everything uh, in a lot of cases, uh, particularly where it delivers on our outcomes, but we're not able to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'll, I'll leave the, leave you alone in a minute on, yep. on cycling, but there was one question which I thought was quite good, which was that you did have a dedicated walking and cycling team here and and you disestablished it two years ago. Why did you do that? So we didn't have a dedicated walking and cycling team. Uh, contrary to myth, that's out there. There was a road safety and walking and cycling team. Uh, we, to be clear about that, uh, we had a road safety crisis uh, as described by an independent uh, reviewer commissioned by the board uh, with 813 people dying in our roads and dying or being seriously injured in our roads in 2017. So we couldn't keep doing what we were doing in terms of road safety. Um, it is also quite clear um, a, a lot of the popular urban myth would be that all the resources in terms of walking and cycling that we had at that time were all in one team. Not the case. Um, and uh, what we what was clear that we needed to do is walking and cycling uh, needed to be integrated and part of everything that we do at Auckland Transport, not just part of one mm -hmm. small group of people. Um, so uh, right now, um, uh, we're pretty comfortable that we're in a better place than ever on this, um, we would like to be cracking on and delivering more um, in terms of more cycling infrastructure. Mm, all right. Well, we look forward to make, seeing it happen. Um, let's talk about light rail. Um, you were locked out of the light rail process. That must have been frustrating for you, and I think things have changed since then. But tell us about that experience. It seemed on the outside a, a schmozzle. Um, I can't speak to the schmozzle, but what I can say is, yeah, there was a there was some frustration around how that played out. Um, choices were made about um, about uh, the involvement of Auckland agencies and in, in what played out uh, through last year and early this year. Um, I think. Uh, focusing on the positive, it's pleased to see that uh, over the last three, four months there has been a real willingness to engage uh, by central government to engage with both Auckland Council and Auckland mm -hmm. Transport on where the project goes from here. Um, the new minister has helped. Um, Jim? Look, I can't. I don't know what's happened in terms of conversations within cabinet. Uh, he's been quite clear about his views on the project uh, publicly, which is mm -hmm. great. Um, and now we're looking forward to the outcome of decisions to be made um, in Wellington about how the project, in whatever form it takes, uh, goes forward. Are you supportive of light rail? I'm uh, so. We are supportive of a rest, uh, rapid transit or a mass transit solution through the isthmus for all the reasons that the Minister has set out. Um, the isthmus is going to become choked. Um, it's one of the original kind of problems we look to solve or AT look to solve kind of three, four, five years ago and why light rail uh, in the form of a streetcar was originally proposed. I think we need in terms of going forward, we need to get clarity on what what are the problems we're trying to solve, not just in terms of that corridor, but the whole rapid transit network for mm -hmm. Auckland. Mm -hmm. 
and then solve, provide the right solution, technical solution for that corridor in that broader context. And what is that for you? Does does light rail solve that problem or is there a different technology that you think is better suited? I think it needs to be thought through in the context like the additional Waitamata Harbour Crossing. Um, thought about in the context of rapid transit from airport to botany uh, and you know we don't want five or six different technologies being used around Auckland because it just becomes too difficult from a customer perspective mm. uh, plus just an economies of scale and, and delivering on it so it's really important that whatever the solution that is chosen uh, is thought through not just on a specific bespoke corridor arrangement but on a network arrangement. It sounds like you uh, things making a racket. Um, it sounds like you are hinting that you're not a real that light rail is, not, is the solution is not the solution. No not at all. I, I'm, I'm agnostic always been agnostic about which <laughs> okay. mode. I'm not a um, uh, which I think you have to be in this ro- the, this sort of role. You've got you've got to pick the right mode for the problem you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it like being in the hot seat? You know the um, the challenge that you've got is it's it's very public, isn't it? Everybody has an opinion about transport. People are engaged. It's it's actually not difficult to to have a conversation with Aucklanders about transport, which is a really positive thing. Uh, you want to make sure you engage with all Aucklanders. That's that's uh, one caveat I'd put on it. But yeah, it is it is um, it's a very it's a very public role. Um, it's uh, it's one it's a it's a great challenge. I mean, um, as I said, we're we're dealing with trying to. In hindsight, it's easy to say this. We're we're trying to deal with, um, I guess, policy choices made between 1950 and 2000, as well as dealing with a growing growing region, a diverse region. Um, and some kind of risks and challenges that uh, weren't kind of that well surfaced before probably the last 10 years in some cases. So so a real challenge um, and a real challenge in the context of uh, trying to do that while uh, ensuring you have an organisation that's fit for that future. Mm. Um, it's the old well. building the aeroplane while it's flying. Isn't Absolutely. It? it is that. It is that. When you think about uh, the, the near future, say five years, um, well, let's go 2030 actually because that seems to be an, a number, doesn't it, that yep. people fix on. What does that look like for you in terms of Auckland transport? Um, rather, I, I think if we take a step back from Auckland transport, if we think about Auckland, I think it's, Auckland is far more important than any agency or organisation in mm-hmm. that space. So so what does Auckland look like? You're, it's, it's imperative that we have a region that uh, is continuing to grow economically and, and recover from COVID. Um, I mean, despite the fact that we're able to walk around and go to events, the reality is that the COVID shock is still with us. It may not be quite as bad as what originally anticipated, but we're going to have to recover and have economic growth. Um, but we must do that without spoiling our quality of life and the quality of life for the generations to come. So if we think about our our role in that, 
Um, it's to enable that growth. Um, it's around enabling Aucklanders to move around our region safely um, and uh, still able to connect. Um, and it's also about the environment and clearly climate change is a part of that. So where do we fit? Um, what we must do is try and enable those things to happen as a transport agency, working with all the other players in our ecosystem um, to deliver on those sorts of outcomes. Um, and we're going to have flying cars eventually. Oh, look, these are things are moving, um, moving pretty quickly in the technology space. I mean, who would have thought, you know, m- scooters in the form that they are here today mm. uh, would have been here three years ago. Um, things are moving quickly and um, transport in the traditional sense uh, will still play a role, but it's how we integrate that with all these other uh, evolutions and changes that are coming mm. in society. Um, Shane Ellison, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your time. Good on you. Thanks, Vincent. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the program. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.